This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our July 12th, 2023 edition. I'm Justin Klein, and I'm here today to help you become a better investor. Like always, it's a it's, it's a constant endeavor. You always have to improve if you are not staying on top of the current trends, uh, the current environment, uh, and even sometimes you know the current vernacular. Then you're going to follow follow behind the times, and you know being good at anything means consistent work, sharpening your tool belt, and in this line of work or in this endeavor. It's about making the most of your time and your capital. And that's what we are here to do. Help you eliminate the counterproductive habits that we all make, right? We all do things that we regret. Uh, we're humans. We're not perfect. And we do things like let emotions influence our decision-making process. We chase headlines and take tips and, and oftentimes take the easy way out. Or what we see, feel is the easy way up. And, you know, I've been doing this for over 20 years and nothing about this is easy. Now, there's ways to make it easier, but it'll never just be easy. So, you know, there's an old saying you can chase returns, but you'll never catch them. And that's one way that you can eliminate those counterproductive habits is by not chasing returns. And there's a million other ways. So we're going to dig into all of this today and give you my unbiased perspective and data developed by more than more than 20 years of investment experience, like I said. And it's all about answering your questions and helping you take that next step in your journey, your quest to achieve financial freedom. And the phone lines are open ready for you at 888-989-CHART. Now, my focus point today looks in the story behind this question. Is it good news for investors if rates stay higher for longer? Bond prices going down, rates going up. Does that mean opportunity? You know how in history of, of, of asset prices, when things go down, people get scared. They run. Fear of more losses, right? That emotion. But let's step back and look at where rates are, where they're likely headed, both short, medium, and long-term. And that can inform you on how to shift your portfolio and how to think about duration risk. And, and oftentimes that is very important, whether you're investing in stocks, whether you're investing in bonds, whatever it is, there is there are different types of risk that you're going to be exposed to. And duration risk is one of them Typically, no matter what asset class you are looking at, okay? Now, time permitted, I want to dig into some other stories. One is in regards to this negotiation in regards to low tax 
or sorry, uh, a negotiation when it comes to taxing companies across borders. And the current laws are made for a time when if you wanted to enter into business in another country, oftentimes you had to import a significant amount of goods. You have to set up uh, distribution centers, a lot of infrastructure, maybe even factories in those other countries. Nowadays, it, especially in technology, you don't have to do that. You can access a population without much investment in that particular country. And therefore, you're making money off of another country's citizens, but you're not giving anything back to those countries. So uh, for a long time, since really the start of the financial crisis, governments have tried, tried to figure out how to deal with this. And uh, this is going to have ramifications uh, if it does pass. So we're going to look at that. Also, how are ETFs constructed? I want to give you a quick example of what something that kind of doesn't make sense and what skews some of these broad indices and you need to be aware of that. And on top of the trends and the often misleading titles that many of these mutual funds ETFs uh, tend to have. Also, we're going to look at the AI revolution, and we know that NVIDIA is the top dog right now, but what kind of companies are coming for their their throats? And there's always, uh, in almost every industry, coming out the top dog, and we're going to look at that. We also have some voice bank questions. One is on SBSW and the other WP Carry. So it's all planned for this episode of Invest Talk, and of course, your live calls, most importantly, at 888 chart Let's take a quick look at the market today. We had inflation data, and I've been saying this for a while. Inflation is going to uh, decelerate for pretty much the entire year, but you're going to get a stair step lower in the month of June simply because of base effects, meaning the month-over-month data peaked in June of last year. And therefore, that was, when you're looking as a whole, you're looking at the highest rate of, rate of change number uh, that you're that you're that you're calculating off, and so it made this go all the way down. The CPI go all the way down to three percent. You still have core CPI about four point three percent. That's probably going to take a stair step down in September October timeframe. So we still have a couple months more of a little bit elevated uh, core CPI, and that probably means you know the Fed could still raise another uh, one more time. But what really this did was it, it took, I don't want to say it took it took off the table, but it made it less likely the Fed is going to do two more rate hikes, which they've been talking about. It didn't really change the odds of a Fed rate hike in two weeks from now, in the end of J- July. But the September meeting, that came down uh, markedly. So that's why the market w- was strong. The dollar was down pretty good. Gold was up nicely. You had yields fall. All the, the recent hawkish talk was kind of walked back a bit in the markets, and that's why you saw uh, an up day. All right, so that was the market today, and we'll see what we get tomorrow if we get any follow-through, or is that kind of that blow-off little top near-term? That's potential as well. All right, let's pivot over to our first voice bank question now. Hey, Justin or Steve. I was calling to get your thoughts on Bank of Hawaii, ticker BOH. I know it's come down quite a bit because the banking crisis pays a pretty good dividend. I was just seeing what your thoughts were to get in now and kind of go from there. Looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Thanks. Bye. 
All right, let's once again back up. You're looking at that 6% dividend and based on earnings, it can pay it. The issue with all of these regional banks and yes, this would be considered a regional bank, even if it's not an entire region, it's just one state, state of Hawaii. They have assets that are being hurt by duration risk and or horizon interest rates. And so, you know, the skeleton, there's a lot of skeletons in the closet when it comes to these regional banks. And it's very difficult to know exactly which one will be the subject of the next run on the bank, which one whose deposits are truly sticky. There it's, it's pretty, I wouldn't say it's easy, but banks can paper over deposit loss by uh, doing very short term measures. But longer term, it's more difficult to maintain profitability and keep that deposit base if it's not super sticky. You know, the, the large banks, the Bank of America's of the world, for example, they their most in, almost entire deposit base is insured, meaning it's below that 250,000 mark, because it's the average day person that might only have a few thousand dollars in the bank at any, any given time, you know, we're living paycheck, paycheck to paycheck. Whereas Silicon Valley Bank, a lot more of that was uh, uninsured, 90 plus percent of it was uninsured over the 250,000 mark. And so a lot of these regional banks, it's all about the stickiness of that deposit base. And as interest rates continue to go up, short-term rates over 5%, 5.5% uh, on some parts of the curve, it becomes attractive to pull those deposits out. And so it, I, I don't find these regional banks to be particularly attractive. Yes, some of them can be taken out, but probably in more in a distress situation than an advantageous situation. And if there is, it doesn't have to be Bank of Hawaii in this case. It could be another regional bank that has earnings season, right? It has an earnings report. We're in earnings season now that sheds more light on whether the deposits are staying or leaving. And it only takes one or two to start the redux of the crisis in the spring. And then it will spread to these regional banks. And I think that's why I don't find them particularly attractive. And that's why I, you know, you're looking at the earnings, you're looking at that dividend. That's not how you view these regional banks at this point. You'd really have to dig into their asset base, understand what type of unrealized losses there are on their portfolio, what the duration of that portfolio looks like, and whether or not that is making them technically insolvent. And for a lot of these names, they, they are. So uh, I'm passing on almost all the regional banks unless I have a very good grasp that their deposit base is extremely sticky and their unrealized losses are, are minor. Now, as we head into a break, let me tell you about the new video feature we are producing. It's called the Invest Talk Sector Spotlight. It's free now on YouTube. And the first episode talks about the technology sector and its rapid innovation. We talk about AI and blockchain, cloud computing, and software as a service. The Invest Talk Sector Spotlight, you can find that right now over on our YouTube channel. Now, my phone lines are open, waiting for your questions at 888 chart When listener questions are played on the Invest Talk podcast, how do you guys determine a value stock? The caller voices are amplified many thousands of times. Just wanted to get your opinion on 
JP Morgan and BAC. How do you see this uh, looking forward? I'm 25 years old and have a question about retirement funds. And the unbiased answers from Justin Klein. That's why it's trading so cheap because there's a lot of regulatory risk. And Steve Peasley. I, I kind of like it here. If I was going to buy Tyson food, this is where I'd buy it. Benefit the entire Invest Talk community. Thank you for what you guys do. That's why 24 7, rain or shine, no matter how simple or how complex, your questions make a difference. Symbol BKE, what's your outlook? And Invest Talk is made better by the power of you. So don't forget to call 888 99 Chart. Justin Klein is here and ready to take your calls live. Invest Talk, 888 99Chart. Let's go to Art in Menlo Park looking at FedEx. How you doing, Art? Good, Justin. How are you today? Doing great. Do you uh, want to buy FedEx or do you own it? Uh, I own it, but uh, I'm actually thinking about uh, liquidating some of it because I've, hold, I've had it for uh, several years now. And I uh, made uh, a nice little profit. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about maybe selling about half at this point because um, uh, I'm thinking that uh, their their international business is not what it was uh, prior to the last couple of years when uh, you know before the um, the COVID. Mm-hmm. And uh, from what I hear, China is like. Uh, they're still not really um, back to where they were previous. So I'm, I'm just thinking that the international part of their business is uh, not going to be as robust. Yeah, that's certainly true. It's a, it's a global company. And when the global economy slows, then they feel it. And it's not, so it's not just about here in the U.S. And you've seen that as of late, earnings are declining for the last four quarters down from $20.61 in 2022. supposed to make about $15 per share this year. And estimates for the next two years are actually coming down, are are being downgraded by analysts. Uh, But the stock has rallied. Its relative strength is pretty strong, right at 89. So, you know, this is more of uh, our value. Let's just go backwards. Our value is closer to about $200 per share, and now it's at $261. So I do think this is a good – you're thinking along, along the right lines. Do I trim it? Do I eliminate it completely? I do think you should be trimming it probably pretty soon. Okay. Now, what I will say is technically there's not major resistance till about 280 and now it's at 261. So, you know, it depends how cute you want to get. It may get to 280, it may not. Um, but it, the technicals look strong. And as long as the market is staying relatively buoyant, you know, it probably will work its way closer to, to that 280 level. So maybe I would take maybe a quarter off the table. And then if it's 280, take another uh, quarter and then keep a tight stop on it because I do think it is overvalued. Uh, at these levels. So uh, I like your thinking, Art. Also due to the fact that uh, UPS is supposed to uh, strike by the end of the month. And well, I think a lot of people are uh, going into the uh, FedEx because 
you know, if uh, UPS goes on strike, then yeah. next quarter is probably going to be a blowout quarter. Yeah, exactly. And that's that UPS issue is probably only short term and they'll only benefit short term. So you want to take that advantage of that to probably sell out of it. All right. Thanks for the call, Art. Now we're heading to a break. Give us a call now at 888-99-CHART. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors. And I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Now, my focus point today looks in the story behind this question is it good news for investors if rates stay higher for longer? And we had the jobs number that came out on Friday, and it was right around expectations 209,000 jobs, which is down from the 300 plus from the previous month and uh, much lower than what we've seen lately. However, if you go back to pre-pandemic era between the middle of 2018 and the end of 2019, unemployment rate back then was under 4% and the, and the average amount of jobs created per month was only 155,000 jobs. So 209 is not terrible, right? It's and I've said this a lot, uh, many times, that this is a very reversion to the mean type of economy. Yes, things are slowing down. Uh, things are, many parts of the economy are negative year over year, especially the goods economy. Uh, there, there's a lot of base effects built into these headline numbers that look sometimes bad. But a lot of it, if, if you go back more two years or even to pre-pandemic levels, it's more flattish to up right? Where it's saying it's not to a level where the, it's not a recessionary level, not, a, not at least your typical recessionary uh, type of environment. And all that pretends to an environment where the Fed, yeah, is likely to be stay higher for longer. And this could be an opportunity for you to Add some income to your portfolio. You know, the two-year treasury note finished this week right around 5%. And if you go even shorter, you can go to about 5.5%. Let me pull up uh, the yield curve here. Yeah, if you go out six months, you're at 5.5%. Three months, 5.5%. One month, 5.36%. One year is right around five and a quarter. So the big question for investors is, will there be another stair step higher in interest rates? And the reality is at least probably in the near term, probably not. And these level of interest rates haven't been seen since 2006, 2007 timeframe. So rates look, Attractive, even on a real basis where the expected inflation rate going forward is about 2.2% over the next five years. Now, that's probably, honestly, too low. I think the market's pricing in too low of an inflation rate. So that's probably off, but it's probably not going to be 5, 5.5%. And so even if the Fed raises a bit further, 
we're probably closer to the end of the current rate hiking cycle than the beginning. So yields on the short-term safe assets are pretty attractive. You can get five, five and a half percent. That's pretty nice. Now, should you go out a little farther in duration? Maybe. I don't think you can go 10, 15, 20 years. I, I wouldn't go to the long end of the curve, but maybe short end of intermediate, you know, going out three to five years. That's not bad. Especially if there's going to be a recession, there probably will be in the next two, three years and locking in it north of 5%, maybe in corporates getting closer to seven, that can be pretty attractive. So a lot of people get bearish when thing when, when you talk about the Fed keeping rates higher for longer. I actually think that's bullish. Why? Because it's saying that the Fed sees the economy is fine. Things are holding together. I said this many times. A lot of people are worried about the inverted yield curve. It's not when the yield curve is inverted that you need to be worried. It's when it's inverted for an extended period of time. And then you get a bear steepener where short-term rates start to drop and the markets start to price in Fed rate hikes very soon. And that means, hey, the market's seeing that, yes, we are going into a significant economic downturn and the Fed will be cutting rates. So uh, I wanted to highlight that and give you some perspective on what signals the, the bond market is uh, offering as well as the opportunities. All right, let's go to James in New York who wants to talk about CVS. Uh, yeah, I hold CVS, and I'm wondering if I might, might be time to maybe think about selling CVS. I don't know, is, it, is the strength still there, or are the days over where CVS is still reasonably worth $100, or is it just poised to move down? No, I mean, it's already pulled back. A lot of this is a worry uh, in regards to the health insurance industry. And I do think there is some worry there. Uh, but you have to remember with CVS, it's only about 30% of their revenue. So while, you know, the UNHs of the world and uh, the Humanas of the world, those are, are struggling in a big, big way because that's their entire business. The CVS has diversified a, a bit, right? They bought Aetna. And so that gives them some exposure there. But I think the market has punished them way too dramatically for, once again, the amount of their revenue coming from in the insurance business. They still you know, get the majority of the revenue from their CVS uh, drugstores and their, their pharmacies. And so uh, we think this is an attractive area for CVS. And it's starting to gain a little strength as of late. Now, in the next Invest Talk, we look into the story behind this headline. Amid supply concerns, demand for lithium and other critical minerals are skyrocketing. Do investors have a play? We're going to get to that story tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. 
the HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. The stock market is volatile. It's constantly changing. So how are you positioned? Is your portfolio properly balanced? Or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief Riskalyze quiz. Now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we'd like to thank them for the courtesy by getting to their questions quickly. DBAJ says, if SPY eventually rebalances to other companies that go up in market cap more than the top weighted companies, then would it still be okay to buy the S&P index? Let me read that. If the S&P 500 eventually rebalances to other companies that go up in market cap more than the top, yeah, okay. So he's saying if the smaller names start outperforming those top-weighted names. Isn't this what happened when Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, etc., they gained size and the 2000 other companies previously dominated the spy? Uh, the answer to your question is yes. You're, you're going to get exposure to the names that rise up the ranks uh, in, in market cap. But ultimately, that isn't necessarily a good thing. Think about that. It's saying that this is this is the kind of I think the flaw in the market cap weighted indices like the S and P is saying okay, just if they're bigger, I'm buying more of them, right? I want to I want a higher concentration of the highest valued companies in the world. Remember, when you're already worth trillions of dollars, how much more upside? It's very hard to double your valuation again, right? Before you're just drastically overvalued. Now, some can continue to kind of grind higher. Apple's a good example of that, where their business has stayed steady. They've been able to be a constant cash cow and they've never really become drastically overvalued. But the other larger names, they absolutely are. So what you're saying is that you're going to be overweight all these mega cap names. Some of them might start to underperform. You know, the Meta is a good example when it you know fell from grace. Oh, was it last year, year before? And it's rallied since, but it's still well below its highs. And then you're saying that other companies like maybe it's oil names, like it used to be in the early 2000s when Exxon was the largest component of the S&P. You're going to be, start buying more of those after they've already appreciated again. That really makes sense. And this is why the equally weighted indices tend to work better. Because 
it's easier for those smaller names, even if they're still large cap, even so they're big companies, for them to double and triple than ones that are already the, some of the most expensive companies in the world. Right? So that's why mid cap, small cap indices, investments tend to outperform large caps over long periods of time because there's a lot more upside. There's more volatility, right? There, there's those bigger cap names are more likely to stay large. But what's their longer term performance going to be after they've already gotten there when now you're very overweight those particular companies? So I like your question, but hopefully I gave you a, a, an insight on to how these portfolios are constructed, these indices are constructed, and why those equal weight and those ones that are overweight, the smaller names compared to the indexes, those tend to outperform long term. Now let's talk a bit about, where are we? Let's talk about the legislation that is being negotiated right now in Paris. And this is actually on Monday and Tuesday. And now the politicians from about 143 different countries, they're, these are tax officials from all these countries, and they're trying to negotiate a way for more equal taxing of the world's largest companies. And they're mainly focused on the top 100. And this would relocate the taxation of some $200 billion in corporate profits around the world. And most of these are tech names. Now, this is meant to let countries capture tax revenue from large companies really at the center of the information-based economy who can, who can operate worldwide and concentrate their profits in their home countries, or maybe they domicile in a low tax jurisdiction like Ireland, for example, and pay little tax, even though their users are not in those countries. Now, the worry here is uh, these, these talks could collapse. And there could be kind of a tit for tat tariff or special taxes levied on mainly American companies, because most of these tech companies, let's be real, are, are American companies. Now, the positive here is that there's a lot of agreements on the major components, but there's still a good amount of holdouts, even companies like Canada, companies, countries like Canada, who are concerned about a lack of, of firm deadlines for implementation. But there's other countries, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, obviously Russia, Belarus, they oppose it. And there remains important issues to resolve, but they're getting closer. Now, this is building on the 2021 agreement that allowed governments to set a minimum tax rate for these companies. So they've already felt it a little bit, but this would go a lot further and update these rules that were really designed for an era when, in order to operate in a country, you had to actually put boots on the ground there, make substantive investment in there through distribution, manufacturing, sales, et cetera. Now you don't really have to do that. I think about it, if you launch an iPhone app, anybody who has an iPhone around the world can probably now download it. When you didn't have to put a dime into K 
capturing those countries or those citizens in those countries. So this has been going on for a long time. And the company, tech companies would likely pay less money to here in the U.S. and more to foreign governments, especially Europe. And Europe's the one really spearheading this because altogether their economy is much larger than ours. And they have, obviously, their their citizens are using the vast majority of U.S.-based technology and we're garnering the profits off of it. But there's also the pharmaceutical giants that book their profits in places like Ireland and Puerto Rico, and they're likely to pay more to the U.S., right, to the U.S. government under this deal as well. So uh, I think from a tax perspective, it'll be neutral for the U.S. government mainly, but it will certainly decrease net profits overall, which could affect the market, especially the tech and the pharmaceutical space. Now let's pivot to the Vestock Voice Bank. This one came in earlier on 888.99 chart. Hey, Steve. I was wanting to know your thoughts on Sylvani Stillwater, SBSW is the ticker symbol. It's down to about $6 a share, pays a great dividend. But I don't know if I should buy more or if they're in a lot of financial trouble or why it's been going down. I know it's kind of a volatile area, but should I sell it and get out of it or should I buy more? Thank you. Love your show. Bye. All right, looking at Sibanye Stillwater, SBSW is a symbol, and this is out of South Africa, and it's a gold miner. Now, they do have some other mining operations as well, but it's mainly mining gold, and, and that's what their profit is uh, mainly in, or mainly uh, sourced from. So it's going to be very volatile, like most gold miners. But even more so because they're domiciled in Africa, which, as you probably know, is a jurisdiction that can be volatile, both from uh, a political standpoint and from a jurisdictional standpoint, right? dealing with local authorities, not just on the state level and dealing with wars and, and, and things like that. But, you know, you there's a lot of grift there. And many of these these mines can be shut down because, hey, they want a bigger bribe. And so that's historically why their business is all over the place. And it is cheap, I will say that. So it's earn $1.45 next year on a $7 stock. So it's cheap. But it's cheaper than the market for a reason. So this is very high risk. This would be a very high risk way of playing gold. If that's what you want, this is your this is your baby. And it just looks like it reversed and I think it could have a big run. Just like the rest of the mining space. But once again, we'll have an outsized move, just like an outside move to outsized move to the downside, going from twelve dollars all the way to six, right? It's down fifty percent from its high in January. Whereas the GDX, the broad gold mining index, that peaked in January around 33 and bottomed at 28. So obviously a minor pullback. So it's a, it's, it's a high risk way of getting exposure to a high risk sector. You have to be comfortable with that. If you want a safer name within the gold mining space, this is not it for you. You want to be going with one of the bigger names in more stable jurisdictions. Well, I don't know if you realize this. I know it's hot 
here in Laguna Beach, California. But this also means we are in the third quarter. And Steve and I have been telling you for a while now that we are in a new market environment. And serious investors need to adjust their thinking, their strategies to fit these times. And the last couple of weeks have been a hallmark of that. Starting to see the dollar break down again. Starting to see value outperform after a counter-trend rally for the first half of this year. Where growth did outperform, but didn't make up the ground that it lost last year. Not nearly. So we're entering this new longer-term trend. Where inflation, while coming down now, is likely to stay elevated longer term. Interest rates are likely on the rise. The dollar is likely to get weaker. Which is very different than what we've seen post-financial crisis. So it's about zooming out and seeing the big picture. And if you need help seeing the forest through the trees, I encourage you to reach out to myself or Steve Peasley at our company, KPP Financial, where we practice parallel investing. And we provide unbiased guidance both on and off air. So you can schedule a call with me via telephone or go to meeting. You can do that through our website, investtalk.com, or you can give our KPP Financial Office a call in Irvine, California at 800-557-5461. We'd love to help you. And the sooner you get in touch, the sooner we can help you get your portfolio optimized. Now, next up, another caller question for you. So hang on. In today's world, a variety of factors are affecting the stock markets. Serious investors know building a secure financial future requires hard work and determination. That's why now, more than ever, when it comes to the planning, execution, and maintenance of your portfolio, you need InvestTalk. InvestTalk is a free download. Your participation makes it unique. Don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hey, Justin Steve. This is John from New York. I'm calling with regards to the WP Carry, WPC. They've dropped around 20% since late last year, and uh, they're at their lowest since about 2010. They have a strong dividend. Is this a good entry point at around $67? And is their dividend sustainable? I'm not sure about the growth aspect either, so if you could touch on that. I'm looking forward to hearing your response. Thank you so much. All right, this is WP Carey, and this is one of the largest well-diversified REITs out there, about a $15 billion market cap. And what's interesting about this name is that it's not just diversified across different types of real estate properties, but also geographically. It has a lot of properties here in the US, Western and Northern Europe as well. And it has offices, single tenant office, industrial warehouses, retail facilities. And while most of the company's revenues come from properties here in the US, once again, it is well diversified. A lot of the leases in Europe are inflation adjusted. So there's some inflation, uh, some inflation protection there, which is good. And, you know, it has come down, but it's a, still a very well run REIT. So I like the diversity here. I like the value that you're getting here. Uh, obviously, there's a bit of a worry on the, on the office side, and that's going to hang over the REIT sector as a whole. But I like that WP, WP Carry has a long history of operations so it can it can remain nimble it has other properties that are going to perform 
maybe when office is not. And so if you're looking to just get exposure to a good operator, global real estate exposure, this would be a solid name, to be honest with you. And it is at, let me pull that, uh, pull back here. Yeah, it is at pretty good support down here around 66. So I'm going to give WP carry a modest thumbs up. Obviously, I don't love the office exposure, but I like the diversity of their business. Thanks for the call. Now, I want to remind you that this is a time where you probably need some guidance and you know, you're tuning in to try to get our view of the markets and we only have an hour here and, and sometimes the way I distill each day uh, can be maybe not enough, maybe not enough time. And so our premium newsletter is a great tool for uh, especially newer investors trying to learn some things, right? Learn how to analyze the market, learn what the economic numbers mean, learn how to manage a portfolio, maybe get an idea of what are good companies to be at least looking at. Not maybe you don't buy it today, but you should always have a watch list of companies that, hey, these are interesting. These have good businesses. And if they get the right price, maybe I should buy them. Okay, so our newsletter is a great tool for that. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal here it's to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at 888 99Chart. No two portfolios are alike, and every investor has a unique set of circumstances. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve and Justin. Just calling because I wanted to know you guys' take on the ETF SPSM. It's a small cap uh, ETF. Just wanted to know for the long-term hold. Uh, I have a small position in it and want to know what you guys think about it. Thank you. Uh, this is SPSM. This is the SPSM. The Spider Portfolio S&P S&P 600, excuse me, S&P 600 small cap ETF, and it's basically an index fund, index of the S&P 600 index, 600 different names. Now this is different than the Russell 2000. So you know, do you want to own the Russell 2000, which versus the Russell 600? Or sorry, the S&P 600. Both are small cap. I'd have to really do a deep, deeper dive to decipher between the two because I, I don't know a whole lot about the S&P 600 except that I know it's a small cap index. So you're indexing, it's good exposure to small cap. I would just try to do a, a deeper dive and figure out whether this is better than the IWM, which is once again, the Russell 2000, also small cap, but a little bit different flavor here. Let me look at this portfolio real quick. Yeah, they're very similar, but you're getting more diversification, which not which isn't necessarily better with the IWM. Uh, I would actually look more at portfolio, the the sector weighting 16% in industrials for the IWM. The S&P 600 is about 17%, so a little bit better there. Uh, and if they were side by side, it'd take a little time, but it's a fine ETF if you're just trying to index. All right, thanks for the call. Now, speaking of that, let's touch on these ETFs. That's a good segue here. And what's interesting is that 
The 50 stocks in the S&P 500 that fell the most last year lost an average of 31%. And then, they, and then those 50 stocks rebounded by about 56% this year. Not a, I haven't done the math, but it means that probably most of them are still not to the high. That's how that math works. But And, and simply buying the losers last year were, was, was a good strategy so far, but that's not usually the case. Okay. Now, contrarian investors don't usually just buy what fell the most. What they usually do is they try to find companies that are undervalued. That's what we do at KPP. This is called value investing. And the whole growth versus value, we talk about, about it a lot, but the difference in the performance became much starker post-financial crisis mainly because the longer term trends were kind of bucked, meaning for a long period of time, growth outperformed value for the longest period since pre-1929. The last time growth had that much of a winning streak above value was the 1920s. And so this discussion is, is pretty interesting. But what's interesting about the these ETFs that you're seeing in the marketplace, the value ETF, the growth ETFs, ETFs, is that you still have to understand what value means to the index constructors. For example, the S&P. Now, there's the S&P 500 value and there's the S&P 500 growth index. And you might be surprised to know that the biggest holding within the S&P 500 value index is Microsoft. And you say, isn't Microsoft more of a growth stock based on the multiples it's trading at? And the answer is probably yes. But according to the S&P 500, or the S&P, it's not quite a growth stock. So if it's not a growth stock, it has to be a value stock. It's got to be one or the other. And that's what's made the S&P 500 value ETF outperform something like the CRISPR value index this year because it just holds Microsoft as its biggest holding. And so I wanted to highlight this because you don't always get what the title of the fund says it is. That's why it's really important to go dig into the holdings. Guess what? You can find that on their website. You can find that on Morningstar. You can find the constituents of the ETF that you're holding. Understand the weightings of the sectors that you're in when you're buying that. Never buy a fund simply based off its name. Understand the constituents, constituents, excuse me, and the overall strategy that's employing so that you know that there's not style drift away from what you really want. Okay. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can get anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And it's official. We've now surpassed the 53.9 million download uh, mark since it all began. So quickly approaching that 55 million mark, all thanks to you. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. 
Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights.